You're listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From February 9th, 2020 at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida. The text is Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Reverend Fritz Gutwein of Bread for the World. Shout out! Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interest on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them, and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then... Your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. Since Advent... I've been preaching from the lectionary text, the Old Testament text, and many of them have been from the book of Isaiah. Have you noticed this? There's been a recurring theme from these texts from Isaiah, and the theme is justice. So you've heard me use that word a lot over the past few weeks and a couple of months. So last week, uh, the lectionary took us to the book of Micah, where we learn that we are to do three things, do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly. And someone after the service stopped me and said, you know, you've been using this word justice quite a lot lately, and when you use that word, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. 
I thought that was excellent feedback. And so when we look at the text today, and again, this theme of justice uh, recurs again in Isaiah, what does it mean that we're talking about? In this text, if you could hear the, the words of the prophet, the prophet is suggesting that God is angry with the people for coming and offering their piety, their worship, and then turning around Monday through Friday, so to speak, and oppressing the poor, oppressing the workers, and contributing to a society that doesn't work for all people. And so God is upset because of the injustice that the people are perpetuating. God wants justice in this text. Well, what is justice? Here to help me answer that question is my dear friend, Reverend Fritz Gutwein. Come on up, Fritz. Reverend Fritz is somebody I've known for about 15 years. He and uh, his wife met here in Tampa area, got married here. He was ordained to the ministry here. Um, Fritz has been not serving churches during his ministry over the course of his lifetime, but has worked in parachurch organizations mostly um, in areas of justice. He's worked for the National Council of Churches for one. These days he's working for an organization called Bread for the World. Um, and so Fritz has been one of my teachers when it comes to what does it mean to live a just life? What is biblical justice? What does all that mean? And so since he's been one of my teachers and he lives here now, I thought I'd let him be one of our teachers as we go forward. And so Fritz, welcome to you and to your fabulous mustache. <laughs> Thanks. This is what's called an interview sermon, by the way, a little different form than you may be used to. So, for starters, Fritz, uh, this word justice can be confusing. How would you define a biblical concept of justice? Well, uh, before I do that, thanks for having me here, for hosting me. You all uh, don't know me that well. A uh, little bit of background just about me first. Um, as Rhonda said, my wife Mary and I met here. Uh, we were married here. I went to high school and college in Tampa. <laughs> And then I left 30 years ago to go to grad school and pursue a career, and we moved back um, just in the last about four months. <clears throat> we live in Seminole, and it's good to be home. Both our jobs are portable, and so they allowed us to bring our jobs with us to come here. My job for Bread for the World uh, has me uh, raising money for them in the uh, southeast and mid-Atlantic region of the country. And then added Florida to that in January. In March, we started looking at places, and in September, we moved. It was a pretty quick <laughs> decision to get back here to the Sunshine State. So, uh, thanks. We're glad you're back. Yeah. They've it's been good. to worship with us a few times here since yeah, we sure have. back. Yeah. yeah, even before we came, you know, we had to make sure there was going to be a place that would be okay. And you all are really <laughs> lucky to have Rhonda here as a minister, let me tell you. <clears throat> I haven't, uh, I'm not as good as she is, so I have paper notes instead of something digital, so I need to kind of refresh my memory on some things that, about ideas to help focus my thoughts on that, so forgive me. But about the biblical concept of justice, um, I think it's mostly about fixing broken systems. As Rhonda mentioned in a prayer earlier, uh, sometimes the economy and our society doesn't work for everybody. Traditionally, people in power set the rules as to how how society works and how the economy works, and usually those rules are designed to help them and to help them prosper more, and many times it leaves out the least of these, of those people who are on the margins. 
And God's sense of justice is one where the systems will work for everybody. And we see the prophets calling us to remind, to remind us of that. Yeah, thank you. So that's, that's a really good, simple definition. It's about systems. I think about ministry in the church. We can feed the poor by giving somebody a loaf of bread. And that's service. That's serving the poor. We can do another step and, and develop, right, and that we teach someone how to get job skills so that they can get a job and buy their own bread. That's development. And the third level in mission engagement is the sense of justice, that we go to the source uh, around the systems that create that person from not having the skills originally to get themselves a job. So, so that's, what, that's part of what we're talking about here, yeah. right, this justice. So this passage from Isaiah that I read earlier, what did you, what's your take on that? How would you interpret it for us today? I think it's God calling us to open our eyes and to see the injustices that are around us, to open our eyes and to get into relationships with people who might be different from us and who might not be benefiting from the economy and from the way society works right now. It's a reminder that what we do on Sundays and what we do in our own personal piety really isn't enough, that we need to not only look inward, but look outward and see the world around us and seek to change it. Yeah, beautiful, thank you. So one of the gifts, or maybe it's a curse, that you have given me over the years <laughs> is you've helped me see how my own apathy and my own ignorance uh, make me sort of a cog in the wheel of injustice, if you will. Um, so in other words, you show me ways in which I participate in systems of injustice. So what are some ways uh, that many of us participate in unjust systems without even being aware of it? How, how are we complicit in unjust systems? Well, I've changed my perspective on this a little bit, and even since uh, Thursday when we talked. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh <laughs> the, the key to this, the key for me is becoming aware. And, uh, you know, when, when Ron and I met, I was in a spot of where I was making a lot of, deep, a lot of trips abroad, and I was in the middle of being a therapeutic foster parent. And uh, being made aware of people who are different from me and people who don't have the advantages that I have, I was, uh, my eyes were opened, going back to those open eyes theory again. And my thoughts were changed about what people, uh, how people were suffering and what I could do uh, to help them and how what I was doing was uh, contributing to their suffering. And those are the changes that I would make in my life. So for me, I would really encourage, I think it's important that we look for opportunities to have our eyes opened, to have conversations, to have real encounters with people who are suffering, rather than just sitting behind a line in the soup kitchen and feeding folks, maybe sitting down and eating with them and understanding what the converse, and having a conversation, understanding what their struggles are and how we can help to uh, to alleviate those struggles and understand why they're struggling. So it's an opening of our heart to, to exactly real pe like real world people. Yeah, there's a uh, uh, there's a quote from a very theological show that was on television a while back called Friday Night Lights. It was about high school football, and the theme for the team was clear eyes, pure heart, can't lose. And I like to think of that as a way for us to act in the world Monday through Friday have clear eyes and seeing how things really are in the world, have a pure heart so that we respond to those needs, and then the world can't lose. 
Yeah, thanks. One of, uh, when I first met you, talking about the trips that you'd taken the, mm -hmm. around the world, um, you had just returned from a trip to, I believe it was Nicaragua, right. where you had studied fair trade coffee. Yep. What is fair trade coffee and what does it have to do with this issue of justice? This is an example, by yes, the way. Yes, like, sure is. Yeah, yeah. And, and an example of being aware, because as Rhonda said, I'd, I think I'd probably just come back from this trip. <clears throat> um, fair trade coffee is kind of like Florida grouper. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you, when you go out to eat or when you buy your grouper that you want to make a grouper sandwich here in Florida, you usually want to get something that's local. You want to go somewhere where they have boats out back that they're going into the Gulf and buying fresh grouper and coming back. Because you know those people. You know the folks who are serving you. You know the folks who are, who are fishing for the grouper or the stone crabs. And, and you have a relationship there. You know that they're being paid a fair wage. Fair trade coffee is kind of like that. Uh, coffee is a commodity. The price is set on a world market and sometimes the floor can really drop out of it. When I went to Nicaragua, I met with farmers who were growing coffee and understood what their lives were like uh, and how they depended on a stable price. Fair trade coffee is basically allowing there to be a stable price and a floor for coffee in case the market drops out of it. This happened a lot in the early 2000s. Gosh, I guess that's when we met. Yeah. Uh, in the early 2000s. So, at that point, there was a real concern that uh, coffee farmers be able to have, be guaranteed a stable income and be guaranteed that they wouldn't lose their lives' work and their years, and their years, uh, their years harvest because the market would drop out at the bottom and they wouldn't be able to sell their coffee at a competitive price. So fair trade coffee was an idea to get fair wages and fair prices for coffee. Um, and so that farmers can benefit from it. So when we drink our fair trade coffee, we can be pretty well assured that the people on the other end are, are working in a just system where they're getting fair wages for their, for their work, yes. for, my, for my addiction. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right. yeah. And this is an idea, this is a good example of how a system has kind of changed. Um, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of coffee roasters around here in, here in the area. And you know, coffee, fair trade coffee is not just fair trade anymore. It's organic. It's from a single source instead of from multiple sources. The market, when we realized we could buy premium coffees and pay a premium price for them, has gotten very specific so that those of us who want a premium product will pay for it and the farmers can benefit from it. And so that's what fair trade coffee is about. It's about both creating a market and a source to meet that market. And so that's something that's been pretty successful over the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah, thank you. All right, so here's one. Sometimes when pastors talk about issues, of, like real-world issues of justice, they can be accused, I don't know anything about this, but they can be accused about bringing politics into the pulpit. Do you think um, justice issues have a place in the church? And if so, why, are, well, why or why not? Well, that depends on the pastor. No, no. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> no, seriously. Hopefully, and when it's uh, that when justice issues are brought into the church from the pulpit, well, the answer, the quick answer is yes. It should <laughs> okay. be. It should be. It should definitely be here. It's part of our everyday life and about how we. And hopefully, when it's done in a church service like this, it's done in a way to 
like the, the reading from Isaiah did and many readings from the Gospel do. It's designed to open our eyes to the plight of those who are suffering, to inspire us to fix it, to fix the problem of their suffering, and to ask why they're suffering, and hopefully to then change a system that's doing that. It's about the heart of that. I mean, we're called to be God's hands and feet in the world. We're the body of Christ. If we don't do it, it's not going to happen. So I think it definitely belongs in the church. Now, there's a very specific theological term that defines this. Can I say give a damn? Well, I think you just did. Okay. Uh, the, the president at Bread for the World, David Beckman, has a theological term for this. It's called organized give a damn. And that's what the church is called to do. We're, we're called to have our hearts changed and our hearts moved and to care about the suffering of people. And then we're called to organize in order to help meet that suffering because we can do a lot more together than we can one at a time. This church, Chapel by the Sea, is already uh, practicing organized give a damn because you all have this hunger walk or this beach walk that happened a couple of weeks ago where you know, you're raising money to help benefit a local organization that meets the needs of people. And so you're already doing it. You're already in the spot of practicing uh, social justice in this area. And especially by doing it in this community, it's an example and a, uh, and a testimony to all the folks that pass through here and to all the folks and, and, and to a realization that the world is bigger than the most beautiful beaches in the country. Yeah. That there are people who are suffering you know, within earshot of here. And y'all are working to help uh, alleviate that. So congrats. Yeah, thanks. Well done, Chapel. Yeah. Um, all right, so you were telling us a little bit about Bread for the World um, and some of what you do there. Um, kind of to wrap, wrap up this conversation, and you, you brought some awareness to our minds about what biblical justice is, uh, what it means, and why we should care about it as, as people of faith. It, it's big. Like, for instance, I drank coffee this morning that wasn't fair trade, right? And I'm wearing shoes that were made in some country where there aren't practices that, that protect workers. And so, you know, my shoes were probably made in a sweatshop by some woman or some child working in slave-like conditions. Um, and, and when we think about this, that there's, so, there's so much, right? How do we, is there, is, there just, is there a place to begin when we think about what we do with our lives so that we can, what the scripture says, loose the bonds of injustice? Can you give us one thing that we can do going forward to make a change? Sure. Um, well, I do work for Bread for the World, so I'm going to pitch the home team here. Uh, Bread for the World is a collective Christian voice that urges our nation's decision makers to make decisions that will end hunger. We believe that hunger can end in our lifetime. Uh, the sustainable development goals that the United Nations and a lot of uh, countries around the world signed on to believe that we can end hunger by 2030. A lot needs to be done and a lot needs to go right in order for that to happen. But it's a call for us to be our best selves and to alleviate and, and to eliminate hunger in the world as we know it. Um, at Bread for the World, uh, we organize Christians to, to reach out to their members of Congress and to ask them to support legislation that will help alleviate that hunger, help, help to alleviate hunger and to end it. We don't write legislation. Uh, we, do, we look at what's there and what's happening and whether it's something in Congress and whether it's something that should be opposed or whether it's something that we should try to work for. And then we have specific asks for congregations and for people of faith to make of their members of Congress and their senators 
uh, in order to get that legislation to happen. Uh, we're a bipartisan organization. We were founded back in the 70s, and uh, you know, uh, members of our board uh, include Bob Dole, they include Leon Panetta, they include uh, Ted Yoho, a congressman from Northern Florida, you know, they include Chris Coons, a, 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 a senator from Delaware. We're all over the place uh, as far as the support on both sides of the aisle at Bread. What we're doing this year is a, is a piece of legislation that's about global nutrition. And I would encourage you all to sign on to Bread's website. Rhonda has the website, she can help with that. And follow our prompts that lead you to write a letter to your member of Congress and senators in support of a global nutrition program. This global nutrition program is designed to help expectant mothers and their infant children because we know that if a child, uh, a child needs to get the appropriate nutrition in the first thousand days of their life, and that means from conception to age two, if they get the appropriate nutrition during that time, they will grow up to be strong, healthy adults and can reach their God-given potential. If they don't, they're at very high risk of stunting uh, which affects them physically and also affects the development of their brain. And stunting is irreversible. If somebody doesn't get the appropriate, if a mother, if, a, if an expectant mother and her infant child don't get appropriate nutrition in the first thousand days of their lives, a child's brain can be altered for life. We know that there are programs that can keep this from happening, that, but that can make sure that children and, and their moms get the level of nutrition they need. So that's what we're working on this year. We have uh, a lot of co-sponsors on a resolution uh, that doesn't have money attached to it that is moving through Congress right now. The Senate actually passed it right before uh, they started all of their, uh, of their recent impeachment process a couple of weeks ago. This, it was that important to them that they passed it right before then. And uh, the House is about to pass it. So it has support from both sides of the aisle. It's something that you can look at and decide if it's a good thing to pair with what you're already doing to help hungry people in uh, Pinellas County. Yeah. So that's where I would begin. Go to Bread for the World and look up the Global Nutrition Resolution. Okay, that's something each of us can do. Um, hunger is not a Republican issue or a Democrat issue, it's a human issue. And as people of faith, we are called to confound both parties. And so let us confound both parties by how we are human and, and caring for our world. Thank you, my friend, for your Thanks. passion for the least of these. I'm going to conclude with um, just reading part of the scripture lesson I read earlier from Isaiah chapter 58. It's the last part. I'm going to read it from the message this time, um, and we'll close with that. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way to the God of glory will secure your passage. And then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. 
I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. So let us go forth as people of biblical justice and do what we need to do. Just one thing this week that we might begin a lifetime of caring for the least of these. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.